Hello and welcome to Live from the Space Shed, a podcast all about space and science hosted by me, John Spooner, and me. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I mean you. <laughs> Mini John. Long story short, a few years ago I accidentally set up my own space agency based out of the shed at the bottom of my garden. Turns out that if you go around telling people you're the director of human spaceflight operations for the Unlimited Space Agency wearing an orange spacesuit, more people than you might think want to play along. And now the British astronaut Tim Peake is our patron and he took me with him to space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, alright, he took you with him to space. So Mini John became Unser's first astronaut. Since then, we've been touring in UNSA's mobile headquarters, The Space Shed, to festivals like Latitude and Blue Dot, telling stories, talking to some super cool space and science people, and we've recorded our chats so you can find out about their amazing work as well. MJ? Mm. Guess what? (laughs) The Space Shed has only been shortlisted for Shed of the Year... I know, right? But we need all of our listeners' help to vote for it. Just go to the homepage of our website, thespaceshed.com. The links are all there. It will literally take you 30 seconds to click and make your vote, and it would be mine and Minnie John's literal dream come true if we could win. Voting is open until the 29th of August, so please, get voting. Oh yeah, the podcast. Right. This week, we're talking to cosmologist and dark matter explorer, Dr. Alexandra Amon. (laughs) Yeah, dark matter explorer. That would make a good band name. Dark matter explorer. (laughs) I don't know what dark matter is, but dark matter explorer would be the heaviest metal band in the universe. You can play drums. (laughs) I'm the singer. It was my idea... What do you mean you quit? You haven't even joined. Fine. I'll play all the instruments and sing. It's not sad. I get on with me really well. I bet I'd have great musical chemistry with myself. All right, yeah, sorry. Let's find out what dark matter is with Dr. Alexandra Amon. And don't forget to vote for us in the Shed of the Year. Enjoy this episode of Live from the Space Shed. Hello, my name's John, John Spooner. I'm the Director of Human Spaceflight Operations here at the Unlimited Space Agency. Welcome to UNSA's HQ, the Space Shed! Give it up for the Space Shed! (laughs) I love space. (laughs) You'd never know, would you? We've been here all weekend. It's been a real joy. It's been beautiful being in your beautiful, sunny city. It's always like that here, right? Yep. One of my favourite things about working with the Unlimited Space Agency is that I get to meet loads of very, very cool, very interesting people, space scientists. And today, I'm joined by a brilliant one. Would you please give a lovely Space Agency Newcastle welcome to Alex Amon! (laughs) Alex, hi. Welcome to the Space Shed. 
thanks very much for coming today. Hi, everyone. You are uh, an astrophysicist. Yes. Which is just like the coolest job title, <laughs> right? And you come down today from the Royal Observatory in Edinburgh. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and you can answer all the questions that any of us have about anything. Everything. Excellent, okay. <laughs> but you specialise in a particularly cool thing, right? Which is you look at the dark side of our universe. So you're, like, you're basically like uh, Darth Vader. Kind of. You're, 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 <laughs> it's not a Jedi thing, is it? <laughs> no. So basically, everything that we know, our bodies or buildings and books or even stars and planets, they only make up 4% of our universe. 4%. Yeah. The rest of it is dark. We have no idea really what it is, um, but we're working hard to try and figure it out. We know that it's called dark matter, 26% of it, and the other 70% is called dark energy. But those are just names for things that we don't really understand. <laughs> I mean, they're cool names, like astrophysicist, <laughs> dark energy, dark matter. We don't know anything, is what you're saying. Exactly. <laughs> but you're trying to work it out. Yeah, we're, trying, we're working really hard, trying to study as much as we can and figure it out. And how, how are you doing that? I mean, given that I can't work out how to get into the shed sometimes, <laughs> and you're trying to work out what... 95% of the universe is. How do you do that? So we use this technique called weak gravitational lensing. Uh, and that sounds really, really fancy, but the idea is quite simple. So how many of you wear glasses? I can see quite a few of you. So you can't see very well without your glasses. But the glasses work because the light goes through the lens and gets bent just a little bit so that when it hits your eyes, you can, you, your eyes can figure it out better. So that means something is bending the light. It's pretty much the same in space. So we have lots of stuff in space, like big galaxies and clusters of galaxies. Um, and they have a lot of dark matter in them. So they're quite massive. And when light from far away galaxies travels all the way to our telescopes for hundreds and hundreds of light years, it gets bent by these structures. So we call it, that's why it's called lensing, because it works just like, just like your glasses lensing. And because the light gets bent, it means that every single picture we take of space is a little bit funny. It's a little bit distorted. So whenever we take a picture of a galaxy, they, they look more, um, their shapes are more elongated. So they're less circular. And that's because their light has been lensed by all the dark matter and dark energy. So you have to make a lens that unlenses the distortion on them. So, so what we do is, we, this is a really tiny effect. So we measure the shapes. I mean, you would think that an astrophysicist has better things to do than measuring shapes. But that's literally all we do. We measure the shapes of lots of galaxies and i don't mean like 10 or 20 we measure the shapes of hundreds of millions of galaxies across the sky and by measuring how distorted their shapes are it tells us a lot about what the light traveled through so it tells us about this mysterious dark universe and what's the coolest thing that you found out about the dark universe and you, i think from here on in whenever it, sh it shouldn't be dark energy it should be dark energy <laughs> <laughs> What's the coolest thing about the dark universe? So there are two things that we try to figure out. We try to figure out how much dark matter there is, and then we try to figure out how clumpy it is. So it's quite interesting, because if we use other techniques to study the universe, like the early universe, if we look at that probe of the universe, it gives us slightly different results to what weak lensing shows us. So weak lensing tells us that our universe is quite clumpy. 
When you zoom out, it's, it forms like a web, this dark matter. And all our galaxies live in the web. Wow. I mean, it's great language, isn't it? <laughs> dark matter, energy, webs, clumpiness out there. Sounds a little bit scary. So this is what you're doing. You're looking out into the universe, trying to work it out, using telescopes. Do you hang out, curled up under a... Te- That's how I like to imagine you. In the observatory in Edinburgh, curled up with a blanket and a mug of cocoa. <laughs> staring out at the universe, looking at the webs. So if anybody here has been to Edinburgh, it's quite like Newcastle, where you don't often see the sky. So we don't actually sit under telescopes at all. All our telescopes are based in Chile, uh, which is in South America. And down there, they have really clear clear skies and it's not as humid as it is here Uh, so we just get the data from them and we actually spend all our days sitting at a laptop coding so if anybody's learning computer science in school you want to pay attention (laughs) you do a lot of coding yeah so that's all that's what we spend most of our time doing it's very rare on days that we that we sit and look at a nice picture of a galaxy you see to me that's taken a little bit of the magic away this is the danger of talking to the scientists i I mean we do go to telescopes sometimes (laughs) so about one once a year you get to go <laughs> so, but most of the time you can just wire that that uh those pictures over i mean that is very cool i guess that rather than have to move to chile or to go and live in or just to visit chile, it's a rubbish commute from edinburgh to chile <laughs> yeah, it'd be pretty long that you can just be at home can you work from home yeah exactly i can just work from home and log on to my laptop and look at all these beautiful pictures of galaxies that no one has really looked at before that is cool who thinks alex has got a cool job yeah <laughs> how do we get a job like yours alex <laughs> so you just have to study really hard in school <laughs> pay attention in computer science and physics and math okay so study is it, people always say the same thing yeah. you know i wish someone had told me this when i was six <laughs> i would rather than a space shed i could be sat under a telescope in chile looking at the stars or now, sitting at home on your laptop or sitting at home looking at the stars <laughs> can i do that <laughs> you can, can i can i look at can i get on the internet and look at yeah, you can. You can go on to NASA or uh, the European Space Agency's website and you can see all the images there. Really? So yeah, so all of the data that we use, uh, the survey that I'm part of is a European survey called KIDS, uh, the Kilo Degree Survey, um, and all their data is public because it's European Space Agency data. So you can actually just log on and always look at these beautiful pictures that we measure the shapes of all the time okay well that's something that we can all do when we get home then yeah if you have spare time just flick through those 10 million galaxies and <laughs> or just scroll mindlessly through twitter looking at <laughs> tweets about the football uh, or look at the universe for free yeah um, th- there's very cool things the other thing that i really love as well there's um i didn't know this until recently there's two satellites that sit either side of the sun that are constantly filming the sun and if you go to i think the met office website or certainly the NASA website or you just look up sun live space you'll go to a website and you can see live footage of the sun it's really really cool it is really cool yeah, yeah. now you are working on a very cool project I'm, so I've got I've written it down because I had to write it down this is the large synoptic oh look I pressed the button the large synoptic survey telescope yeah it's a less cool name than all the other things. Yeah, so it's we've upgraded from the one called Kids. <laughs> so the new one's going to be called LSST. And it hasn't started yet, but we get first light. So that's when it first opens its domes in Chile to start observing the universe. Uh, and that's happening in about a year. Uh, and this one's really cool because it's not really for weak lensing. The people who design this telescope don't really care about the dark, about dark energy and dark matter. Don't know what's wrong with them. But they're looking for killer asteroids that might obliterate Earth. 
So that's a bit more important, arguably. But because of that, they're just going to map. They're just going to keep surveying the southern sky, the entire sky. So the bit of ga- the bit of sky that we've looked at in kids is about ten of your hands on the sky, ten of your palms. So that's not very big, but it's taken us uh, four years, and even that amount contains about fifteen million galaxies. Which is just an unimaginable amount because we live in our own galaxy, the Milky Way. So to think that there's so many others, uh, but the LSST, LSST telescope will just keep looping over the entire sky every three nights so that we pick up these asteroids. But people like me will grab onto their data and use it to figure out the dark universe. Oh, that is very cool. So yeah. the research benefits everyone and in lots of different fields. Exactly, it'll just change the entire. Will I be able to watch that one? Because that is. Something Something that I could definitely spend all my evenings doing because my I think the seventh best film ever made is Armageddon, um, which is which is about how miners go into space to save the planet from an asteroid. Some of you are a bit young for it right now, but I would as soon as you hit the right age range, I would recommend that's it the movie that got me into space. Don't yeah, don't listen to the people that tell you that it's a rubbish film. It's not. It's the seventh best film ever made. But I could look at could I look at that telescope, the LSST, and watch out for asteroids? And then I could be like Bruce Willis. Technically, you can. Uh, there's a small problem in that because it keeps going over the sky, it's such an amazing big telescope, it has quite a lot of data. So I don't know if there are any techies in here, but um, usually when you your computer will hold about a terabyte of data, well, LSSD will take three terabytes of data every night. So we're still working out um, how to... <laughs> how to manipulate this data so that we can get the information we want. Well, thank you for, make, for protecting us <laughs> from hopefully asteroids. hopefully you, um, you can download it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is cool. Computers, study computer science at school, get a job as an astrophysicist, save the world from asteroids, and work out what dark energy is in the process. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great job. Who's got a question for Alex? Something that you might have always... You've, straight up, yes. What's your... Oh, hang on. Flight Commander has got a megaphone, high-tech piece of kit. Um, that's not really my job, luckily. <laughs> but I get that, uh, I assume that all the governments will have to work pretty quickly to understand what would happen. But we have uh, research projects in place looking for them, so we're pretty sure we're okay for now. It's not unlikely, though, is it? I no, mean, it's, I mean, we're probably okay in our lifetime, but for future generations, we need to have the ability to keep surveying the sky to make sure. Anyone with young children, <laughs> sleep well tonight. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the, 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 answer is, the answer is as well, big rock coming from space. Un- unless, like in Armageddon, we can send some oil Mine. rig workers into space to bury a nuclear missile inside it and explode it. And apparently that's not a very realistic scenario <laughs> the earth's probably let's not worry about that <laughs> moving really, on you've, re- you've really brought everything down a bit, but th- thanks for that question <laughs> does anyone have um well, i mean we talk about the dark universe so this is good actually what what are the really dark questions you've got about the universe <laughs> yeah what's your question So we've looked at, that's a really good question, actually. So we've looked at, my team has looked at 15 million so far. I mean, I don't even, I can't even count that much, to be honest. So it's a pretty big number. Let's put it that way. (laughs) When when you asked that question, were you expecting the answer to be 15 million? More! <laughs> Love your ambition. But that's all that we've looked at. <laughs> I mean, there are plenty more out there. I like it. Maybe you can join in this experiment. Do you know the name of our galaxy? 
Ah, very good. <laughs> and the next closest galaxy, I learnt this yesterday. Yeah, That's but not right. for a long, long time. <laughs> it's good. We're back on the dark stuff. I like it very much. Gonna... Yeah, <laughs> that uh, one's called Andromeda. So that one's my favourite. Uh, tell us, but tell us about the collision. This is, I think, this is really cool. Uh, since we're on doing dark side stuff, our Milky Way galaxy, the Andromeda galaxy, the next nearest one, they are going to. <laughs> in millions I mean in lots and lots of years but that's quite funny because they're moving together just the same way that we stay around our sun because of gravity and because gravity attracts us but what I didn't say was what dark matter and dark energy do so dark energy is actually making our universe expand and that's a bit strange because we know that gravity keeps things together. So while gravity pulls things towards each other and keeps them attracted, dark energy is making our universe expand and all the galaxies are getting further and further apart. That's a, How do you know? I mean, we don't know what it is, but we know that it's doing this. How do we, we know, know that? We know that it's doing that because we can look at things called supernovae. So that's when, when a star gets really old and dies, uh, like our sun will do in again in millions and millions keep, of years. Keep it dark, Alex. Keep it dark. <laughs> Uh, it will explode in this beautiful explosion called a supernova. Uh, and if we look at enough supernova from far away, they are further away than we expect. So it tells us that our universe is expanding. And we know that quite well, but it was only discovered uh, in 1990 that that was happening. That's very cool. So we know the universe is expanding. Uh, Due to some mysterious thing called dark energy. But that's all we got. And that's how we know that the universes, are our galaxies, sorry, are going to collide. So the but galaxies are colliding against that just because yeah. of gravity. So the funny thing to me is what, what will happen when the galaxies collide? We die. We- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, we will be, uh, this will be millions of years from now, so none of us will um, will be alive anymore. <laughs> um, I yeah. heard, I'm loving it so much. I, I heard that we wouldn't notice, I mean, if we were around, which we won't be because... Uh, Our son will die before Yeah, before that happens. Collide. But I was told that actually, because everything's so far apart from each other, there would actually be very little noticeable change. Yeah, so that's true, because all the stars are quite far apart. So it's, it's like if you all, if two of you stood far apart from each other and had a bunch of little balls in your hand and threw them at each other. It's quite rare that the balls actually hit each other because there's so much room in between them. So it'd be quite like that. So that's okay. We've, we've, we've saved that one, I think. It's not going to happen in any of our <laughs> life, anybody's lifetime. But we'd be fine if it did. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> what happens? We die. <laughs> like it. Um, excellent. Who's got another question for Alex? You have. Hi. Hi. What's the Milky Way? The Milky Way is our galaxy. So we live on a planet, uh, and our planet is one of eight that goes around the sun. And the funny thing is there are lots of suns. The sun is just a normal star. So when you look up at night and you see the stars twinkling, our sun is just like that. It's not any more, it's not any bigger, it's not any more special. It's just that it's much closer to us. So that's why it looks so big. But there are lots and lots of stars, and the stars swirl around and they're held together just like our planet goes around the sun every day, which is why we have days and, and years. The stars swirl around and form a galaxy. It's like a cloud of galaxies, but they swirl in a really nice pattern. So you should go home and look and look one up and see pictures of them. We were told recently, so you can see, so the, all the stars in our galaxy swirl around, that's the, the Milky Way, and you can see the Milky Way really clearly from somewhere near here. There's a dark sky site. Yeah, so if you go somewhere really dark, so, so the stars swirl around so that they form like a flat 
its disk that rotates. And so because of that, when it's really, really dark, you can see the, the disk of stars. We're looking out along the disk. So you can see all the stars in a line along the sky. It's like a strip along the sky. And that's our own Milky Way. Those are just the other stars in our Milky Way. It's very, very super cool. Uh, does anyone know? Is it, I can't remember the name. It's about 60 miles from here. It's a dark... Kielder, yeah. yes, Kielder. So if apparently if you go to Kielder in the winter and get a clear sky, then you can see the Milky Way really yeah. clearly. It's one of the few dark sky sites in there. So in the that's country. what the Milky Way chocolate is named after. I think that answered your question. Yeah. Chocolate bar, get home galaxy. Bit weirded out by the idea that we're in a galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I'm glad. This, but these are some of the assumptions that we make, right? You go, everyone knows where um, galaxies yeah. is. No. Because how old are you? You're like six. Yeah. And there's no reason why. So I found out um, when I was 33 that uh, I exist in many different places at the same moment in time because of quantum physics. Yeah, let's not go into that one. No, no, no. We won't go into it. But the thing, the thing that I thought was, well, why didn't anyone tell me that when I was six? Because instead of being really freaked out by it, I'd have just gone, oh, well, that's, that's an interesting thing to know. Like gravity. Gravity is weird, right? But if you're t- but you're told about gravity when you're really young, and the answer is why? Why? And you go because that's how it is. Yeah. So you know multiverses. And my mum still uh, still thinks I measure the shape of stars, not galaxies. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who needs to know something about the universe? You have another one. Okay. So we don't really care about stars. Well, I don't really care about stars. <laughs> so stars are made of the same things that we're made of, which is quite funny. So all the all the um, the iron that's in our blood, all the things that we're made of, that our bodies are made of, were formed in stars, in the cores of stars. So all that stuff we kind of understand. It's a bit boring for for cosmologists, which is what which is uh, the field that I work in. We care about the other stuff, the dark, the dark universe. So you're looking. So you don't know the answer because you're not even <laughs> looking for stars. Stars are boring. So yeah, but we found galaxies, and each galaxy has stars in it. Has a billion stars in it? Let's say. Yeah, so many, so many. <laughs> Lots of stars. <laughs> Let's just stick with lots. <laughs> so, but yeah, well, this is the conversation we had yesterday or earlier today. Actually. The the answer to how many stars are there in our galaxy is loads. It's supposed to be more than all the grains of sand on the Earth. So if you've ever went, if you ever went to the beach, that's a lot of sand, and that's just on one beach. So if you think of all the sand on our planet, there are more stars than that in our universe. Loads. <laughs> <laughs> And from and from this conversation today, although actually no, you know all the stuff already. So, <laughs> let's someone ask a question that Joe would impressed. Joe would find something new out from. So if we didn't have, so dark matter and dark energy, they have the dark matter is twenty five percent and the dark energy is seventy percent. And if we didn't have that really precise mixture, that exact mixture so let's say we had 40 percent dark matter and only uh 50 40 percent dark energy whatever that is then um the universe wouldn't have evolved in such a way that life could form because dark matter keeps things together so without dark matter you can't have structures like galaxies and without galaxies then you wouldn't have stars and planets like what we live on so yeah so yes you yes could, basically yes dark matter mm-hmm 
would create can create life because that's the stuff that's well without that it doesn't create life but without dark matter we wouldn't have life that's for sure it's it's, it's an important distinction to make listen to alex not me (laughs) so if you got dark matter in a jar you couldn't just whip some life up although although you that would sell that That, would sell that's that's the sort of thing that would help you with maybe another source of income for the (laughs) work that you're doing dark energy in a jar i bet you could grow it into something right something anything yeah yeah i'm hands up who would buy some dark and dark matter in a jar there you go look there's definitely a market yeah i'll try and work on that (laughs) (laughs) i'm full of great ideas (laughs) i should be working for you (laughs) anything else anyone would like to yes hi so how do you how do you know it's 25% and 70%? How do you know the difference between dark energy and dark matter? Good question. It's a good question. So dark matter and dark energy, we know the difference because they, they're they very different. Their names put them to sound similar, but dark matter lives around galaxies. So when we so weak lensing tells you where the mass is in the universe, where all the stuff is. So because the light gets bent around it, if you do weak lensing over a patch of sky, you can make a map of where all the stuff is on that map. Uh, And so that tells us that where the galaxies are, there's a big blob of dark matter around it. And that just means that there's a big blob of mass around it that we can't... It's not like normal mass. It's not like mass that we can measure. It doesn't react with light, so we can't see it. Whereas dark energy... Uh, is even more mysterious. We also can't see it, which is why we put the dark in the name, but it, it lives everywhere and it's just driving this expansion of space. Uh, and if we if we use a combination of, of techniques to study the universe, so if we use weak lensing, um, so by itself weak lensing tells you where the mass is and it tells you if the mass is clumpy. Whereas if we combine that with a study of uh, the early universe, so I don't know what kind of astrophysicist you had yesterday, but we can see if we have um, a certain type of telescope, so a radio telescope, then we can see the first light that the universe ever emitted. And that's called the cosmic microwave background. Uh, And if you measure that as well as lensing and do your your analyses together, you can find out, you can distinguish between the two. It's like it's great. It's like always slightly complicated, but as you did a great job there. Going, <laughs> I really tried. We great. do know you trust. You trust Alex that this is the case now, right? Yeah, it could be completely. <laughs> it's not though, is it's it? It's not a lie. So when you turn on your uh, radio and you get static, that's like leftover radiation. Uh, so lots of it is noise, but if you if you cleaned it of noise, you would still get this leftover radiation. And that's actually leftover radiation from the start of the universe that we can still detect. Yeah, it called cool? the cosmic microwave background. That's it. We're like on old television sets, when you turn them on, it's like, no. Oh, people moan about, oh, there's nothing ever on telly. Well, turn it on, have a look at the, the Big Bang. <laughs> yeah. There's the beginning and the of discovery, the universe. <laughs> the discovery of that was super cool because people, the, the astronomers, I don't remember when, I don't know when it was, not the date, but they were trying to clean and clean their telescopes because they kept getting this background fuzz and they were like, what is this? And they had a pigeon problem near their telescope. So they thought that it was pigeon poo just contaminating their, their signature. So they kept cleaning the telescope, trying to get all the pigeon poo off. And then only like... A few years after, when a theorist realized that their observations were actually uh, observing the first light ever emitted by the universe, Which <laughs> not cool. pigeon poo. And there was wasn't that uh, there was a group uh, MIT or something just yeah, down the road that had been properly searching for the beginning of the universe for years yeah. and years, and then just down the road there was <laughs> they these were two like, guys "What's going, the pigeon poo?" <laughs> oh, it's not pigeon poo. 
it's the beginning of the universe. And the guys down the road were like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) If only they had WhatsApp, they could have been telling each other what what they were finding and figured it out a lot sooner. (laughs) I love that story. That's a really good one. Um, Does anyone have anything else to ask Alex? Excellent. Yes, a question from a girl. (laughs) How does the light bend? That is a cracking question. (laughs) So light just travels along whatever it can travel. So in the air, it travels uh, in straight lines. But then if you wear glasses, it does... That is proof that it bends, right? Because it does fix your vision for you. And it's not fixing your eyes. It's just bending the light so that it goes into your eyes the right way. And you can also do this if you have a glass at home and you shine a light through it. You can see that it makes a circle. So the light just bends. um, I don't know how it bends, but it just gets distorted because because if it travels through something made of a different thing so if it's traveling in the air it goes in one direction and then it hits your glasses which are made of glass or if you shine a light through a pool for example which is made of water then it it follows a different path because it has something a different uh, thing to travel through so whether it's traveling through air or glasses or water or dark energy then it gets bent a little bit Cool, right? Yeah. Now, now you know how light bends, which is a great thing <laughs> to learn question. on a Sunday afternoon, I think. <laughs> yeah, you look pleased. Excellent. <laughs> um, look, like I say, Alex isn't going to be running away. So if you didn't get a chance to ask a question and you want to, then uh, she'll be here. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. If you want to find out how to join the Unlimited Space Agency, it is free, even though I was begging for money earlier. It's free. <laughs> um, there's loads of really fun activities you can do. You can sign up, become a cadet at the agency. Um, there's loads of uh, Tim Peak is our patron. There's loads of cool activities, uh, free app to download, all that sort of stuff. Just get a card from any of the guy, any of the ground crew with the high vis uh, vests on. They got a card you can take away. Thank you very much for having us in Newcastle. Could I ask you please to give an excellent Newcastle Unlimited Space Agency round of applause to Alex Amon? Thank you. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Dark matter is weird, MJ. Still, at least we know what it is now. Alex is cool. I bet she'd play drums in my band. (sighs) You wait, you'll see. This time next year, Dark Matter Explorer will be headlining the main stage at Latitude while you're stuck in this silly little space shed. I love the space shed. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to Live from the Space Shed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And please, if you can spare a moment to vote for us as Shed of the Year, you'd be making us all very happy. You can find full details and social links at our website, thespaceshed.com. Live from the Space Shed is an unlimited theatre production with Season 1 brought to you in association with the Science and Technologies Facilities Council, the Cockcroft Institute, the Space and Arts Council of England, with special thanks to Dr. Rob Appleby of Manchester University. Our theme music is Go by Public Service Broadcasting, used with their extremely kind permission. Our sound engineer and editor is Andy Wood, with additional sound design by Elena Pena. The show is produced by John Spooner and Alice Massey, with support from our friends at Storyfings. Live from the Space Shed is an unlimited theatre production on behalf of the Unlimited Space Agency. See you for more! Live from the space shed soon.